Uh, Joel, it's 4.40 in the afternoon. Why are you drinking coffee? Uh, because I just, you know, when you get to the afternoon, my wife's in here, literally brought up the coffee pot for me. Thank you very much for this. I, You're awesome. Uh, yeah, you can leave the coffee pot here. I'm totally fine with that. Thank you. Isn't my wife the best? <laughs> you brought me coffee. This is great. Thank you. Do you not do you not have problems sleeping if you drink coffee at this four o'clock in the afternoon? This late in the day? Uh no, no. If I was to drink it at like seven or eight or nine, oh yeah. Yeah, that's a bad thing. But no, no. Okay. Four forty in the afternoon, that's that's not a problem. So um we are this is almost a special episode. Almost. <laughs> They're right? all special. <laughs> They're all like, special. Wait, are you, is that like in the negative way, like the quote unquote special? <laughs> like <laughs> No, I meant they're all special. Okay. I mean, <laughs> uh, but you're about to get some. You're about to get a package delivered, aren't you? I am. I hope. Well, I hope so. Yes. So amid the uh, very selfishly amid the coronavirus pandemic, I am very eagerly awaiting the arrival of my Prusa Mini 3D printer. Um, so I think while we both agree that the pandemic's not a good thing, I don't think there's anything bad about being excited about something. I mean, life goes on, right? So. Sure. Yeah. Okay. When, when, when is it supposed to be delivered? Like how, how I don't, soon? I don't have, I don't have a, I don't have a date. I just know it will be soon because it has now left Prague and arrived into the UK. It's it's gotta be soon then. I mean, it's gotta be within the next couple of days, right? I think so. Okay, I think so. All right. Which, which not only for me, not only for me personally, is exciting, but there's also a, a genuine use case for this 3D printer because, and I'd like to talk about that as well, if that's all right. But uh, I'd like to talk yes. about the, the 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 UK and Europe dispatch of WLAN Pi cases. I have been playing with Fusion 360. Yes, I've seen that. Can I comment really quickly actually on that? But I like yeah. Uh, you've sent me a few screenshots now, and I'm worried. I'm actually really concerned <laughs> because you're you're already designing stuff in Fusion 360 that looks really really good, and I'm like. Oh no, Nick's like outpacing me already just in just design <laughs> abilities in general. Not only is he using a better tool than I am, like he's good at it. I'm I'm seriously impressed I, with the stuff that you've been sending me screenshots of. Like it looks really, really cool. And I can't wait for you to get your printer so we can see some of this stuff in the real world. I'm super excited about that. Maybe it's the coffee. I don't know. It could be the coffee. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you very much, man. I'm really, uh, that, that means a lot uh, to, you know, to hear that from you. But I, I, um, I'm really enjoying playing with Fusion 360. Have, have you played, have you played with it at all? I've, I've like done a couple of very, very basic things in it. And I know that we basically did a blood oath covenant that we would both watch some videos about it and start getting into it. And I have completely failed to keep up my end of that blood oath covenant. I haven't touched it yet really since we talked. So for all, for okay. all intents and purposes, no, I, I have not okay. used fusion 360, but my intention is to do that very, very soon. Okay. 
So let, let, let me address a few things in order. Number one, I don't think you've got anything to worry about. I am right. I am drawing from your experience right. and you know the stuff that you showed me when I when I came to visit you and you know the fact that I have got a few of your WLAN Pi cases here. So you know all of this is giving me a huge platform and head start to launch from in terms of these kind of designs. And we also spoke at, at length regarding you know the design considerations that you would put in that we have to put into place when designing a 3d model that's going to be 3d printed versus an object that's going to be milled or an object that's going to be injection molded so you've sent me a lot of screenshots and stuff but i would really like to talk through some of the things that you're working on like what have what have you been designing well, before before we talk about what I've been doing in, in Fusion, can I I'd like to just make a few comments. Okay. Uh, so I, I I'll, I'll I've got to say my thing first. Sounds um, good. Sounds good. So I tried to get you to do the, it in the videos, first place, and then now you're just. Whatever. <laughs> I know, I know. I should have just done it in the first place. The videos that you suggested I watch is a channel. I think it's Chaos Core Tech or something like this, and we'll put that link into the show notes i'm just to be clarify i only Mm -hmm. suggested those to you because sam clements suggested them to me so i haven't even opened them like i I didn't i didn't send you a resource i just forwarded you a resource just just to be clear well in that case sam thank you very much for sending these videos to me via joel and what's kind of good about this is that it's not it's almost not a tutorial video set it's more a guy who knows what he's he knows his way around the tool but he's not a quote unquote professional user of fusion 360 and so his his approach is very it feels organic you know he says this is this is how i would do this i'm not sure if it's actually the best way to do this in the tool but okay this is how i would do it okay and Watching him approach these different modeling tasks has helped me leapfrog into the use of, or, or at least get to a point where I can create some basic shapes. I am definitely not doing it efficiently. Okay. I'm just scrolling through this guy's YouTube channel right now, and holy cow, he's got tons of videos in here. This, this playlist is massive. My guess yeah. is that his YouTube channel is composed of a lot more than just Fusion 360 tutorials. That looks like it's just a uh, a subset of what he does. I think that's correct. I mean, yeah. it's. I think what's nice is that it it's not a tutorial. It is him using Fusion 360 right. and talking about it as he uses it to create various things. Sometimes oh, I'm he's fa- I'm, just... I'm facepalming over here because it's literally what you just said, and I immediately went back and used the term tutorial. So, yes. <laughs> no, 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 no. I wasn't... That's not what I was referencing. That's not what I was referencing. Oh, okay. I was, I, was, I was just banging on again about the fact that his... The style of videos suited me. Anyway, but... Now, now, just to quickly address the, uh, and you know, and of course, I have some something to complain about. Whilst I'm, I'm very impressed that AutoCAD will let me download Fusion 360 for free mm-hmm. and use it as a non-commercial, use it under a non-commercial license, mm-hmm. and I'm very impressed by how powerful Fusion 360 is. 
I'm also a little bit weirded out by how it seems to be a Chrome app. Or do you mean just like a web application in general? Yeah. I agree. I mean, yeah, I agree. It, it's it, not yeah. It's not running in a website, but it, it seems... I can't even explain why I think it's a Chrome thing, but basically, if I click on the Chrome icon in my dock, currently, my macOS environment cycles through Chrome apps, and I don't know why, and it grabs Fusion as one of them. Oh, weird. Huh. That is really odd, but I and I don't know about the Chrome thing. That is a strong case for why why or the, I don't know it might be tied to Chrome somehow. But I do agree that it does not feel like a native application in any way. It it does not feel like a Mac app. It doesn't feel like a Windows app. It doesn't feel like an anything app. It just feels like its own thing, which I strongly dislike. I hate it when applications don't feel like the host operating system that they're in. I think that's a common theme in the Hidden Node podcast. I think we've talked about that before. It is. It is. It is. I think it is worth noting that I I think you've put your, your finger on the button there. It is that it does not feel like a native app, but mm-hmm. it also doesn't feel... I mean, it's not a Java app. It nope. doesn't have that feel nope. to it. And so it's, it's almost... It, it, it is not an app that feels uncomfortable on macOS, mm-hmm. but it doesn't behave like a macOS application. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I I don't understand how you could have an application like Fusion 360, which is for designing incredibly complex and incredibly precise components, and yet even the splash screen is pixelated. Yeah. I mean... It, how yeah how how (laughs) yeah i don't know i don't know but i agree it feels weird and i i also hate that like the icon at least last time i looked the icon was perfectly square like they didn't knock the corners off of the icon at all which just like just looks wrong it just looks so terrible i'm like why this is a professional application come on guys put a little bit of effort into your icon just a little bit but then it's free. It's available to me for free, and it is evidently incredibly powerful. Yeah, I. It does seem to be kind of the standard right now. It's the modeling tool of choice, as far as I can tell. Yeah, I did. I did five minutes of googling for something to be something alternative, something that would be more native. The one other application I saw talked about was Blender, and everybody in this forum was saying. I've used Blender for X many years and I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think Blender is a great tool, but it's not a mechanical component design tool. It's I, I think it's more of an artistic and animation tool, I think. Have yeah. you ever heard of uh, Captain Disillusion on YouTube? I have, yeah. Yeah, you've heard yeah. of yeah, of Captain D. Yeah, he's, he's pretty great. For those of you that don't know about Captain Disillusion... He is a visual effects expert, I would say. And he yeah. does like videos about debunking like fake videos on the internet and all kinds of stuff. Like he does a lot more than that. That's just kind of what he's famous for. And he's done uh and he doesn't do like blender tutorials, but he'll illustrate very quickly how someone may have used how someone used blender to clearly fake this thing or 
or whatever. Like okay. I think he definitely yeah. knows what he's doing. But tutorials, once again, he, he doesn't do tutorials. He just happens to know it and he uses it. Yep. Yeah, he like deconstructs special effects in yeah. some movies, and yeah, I've, I've enjoyed I've enjoyed his uh, some of his videos. And I like how he he knows he knows his craft well enough. Like he looks at a fake video of like a lightning strike, and he was like, he can tell just by looking at it. Oh, that little puff of smoke that happened where the fake lightning strike happened. I know exactly which like you know stock animation library that yeah. came out of. It's like <laughs> wow, like he just really knows what he's doing. So. I have installed Fusion. I have been playing with it. I did watch these tutorial videos mm-hmm. and I have started getting definitely not proficient in the tool, but enough that I can get to, I can get the shape that I want. Okay. So what's the most interesting thing or I don't know, the most noteworthy thing that you'd like to talk about that, that you've designed with Fusion 360 so far? Yeah, I've been, I, I actually held off starting to play with fusion until i i was a few weeks away from the printer arriving intentionally okay why because i didn't because i didn't want to get too far down the road of modeling things that i would like to print uh i didn't want to spend too much time creating these models yeah and then get the because i don't have a printer to to learn on what works and what doesn't work okay okay yeah, that makes sense. I think it's a good idea. One of the stock items on the Prusa Mini is that large nut and bolt. Right. So that has that that initially made me think that I would be quite all right to print threads. And I think just to make sure that all listeners are up to speed, the Prusa Mini comes with an SD no, not an SD card, a flash drive that has g codes already on it you take a model we talked about this a while back i think but you take a model so we can say it again yeah i think it's worth repeating you take a model you run it through prusa slicer or a slicer for this we're just going to use prusa slicer because it's you know the slicer that comes with the printer and it turns Mm -hmm. that 3d model into a path like a giant text file that contains a ton of coordinates and the printer just basically follows a path and and that path is called g code and so it comes with like a nut and a bolt there or yeah yeah nut and a bolt they're like oversized so it's a very easy fairly quick print just to you know get a print off of your printer minutes after you get it out of the box which is pretty fun yeah i'm intending to print that nut and that bolt once i have assembled the printer it's a great fidget thing for your desk i mine's out of reach right now but it's usually on my desk and i just sit there and just you know screw it in screw it out screw it in guys just what i sit there and do on conference calls and stuff all the time but then so this leads me down to this leads me to one of those questions that I wanted to pose to you, and that is, what what is the what is the smallest diameter thread I could yeah. get away with with a Prusa Mini? Yeah, in your opinion, that's a great question, and this is probably going to be fairly universal across most FDM fused deposition modeling printers. They're calling it something different now. FDM was like the thing that we called it for years. And I've seen a new term pop up recently that everyone seems to be using instead. I can't remember what it is. FFF, fused for, I don't know. I don't know what it stands. I think it's FFF is the new one, but I think FDM rolls off the tongue better. So the smallest, Hmm. I don't know what the smallest threads you could print. You certainly can print threads. 
okay, but you're not going to be able to get very small. I, I think you could probably get a little bit smaller than that nut and bolt that, that you can print, but I think there's okay. a specific reason why it's so large. But that thread is, I mean, what, M20? I don't know. It's massive, though. It's, yeah. So, and it's sort of it's sort of that kind of just base knowledge, because I, I started creating a... Ah, yeah. So I think that was maybe the second item, second model that I started building in Fusion was uh, in the hallway of my home. There I have a Netgear PoE switch mounted on the wall. Uh-huh. Uh, but it's not it's not brick wall. It's a thin wooden board, meaning that there's a uh, there's a void behind it. Okay. And there is a hole below the Netgear switch, and several cable, several Ethernet cables come out of that hole and then bend up and go into the switch. Yeah. So the ports are pointing downwards. That was intentional because I don't want bits falling into those ports. Uh huh. But. I haven't yet made that made that hole where the cables come out and then go into the switch. I haven't made that neat and tidy enough yet. Like it's it's not a huge problem, but it's an area that I would like to mask and make look a little bit more pretty. I want the switch to be on display, but I don't necessarily want the hole where the cables go into the void behind the switch to be visible. Okay. And so I started playing with different ways of masking this. And one idea I came up with was I would print protrusions on the plastic cover. Okay. And then print nuts and put a thread on those protrusions. Okay. But I showed that to you and I think you I they would be M10. <laughs> yeah, I was immediately like... Uh, I don't know if the threads are going to work. Like, isn't that like, boy, I am just such a positive person, aren't I? Like you show me something and I'm like, well, that's not going to work. <laughs> it's like the first thing that I do. <laughs> Wait. Okay. So they're, they're M10s. Um, yeah, I, you might get away with M10s actually. So I don't know a couple things to think about. Uh, well, first off I'm looking at Thingiverse right now. Uh, if you don't know mm-hmm. what Thingiverse is, it's kind of, and I know you do, but for those of you that don't, Thingiverse is kind of the long-standing repository for 3D models. Um, it is, uh, it's owned by, I have a few issues with Thingiverse. First off, it's owned by MakerBot. MakerBot used to be cool, open source, all that. And then they like closed sourced everything. They got bought by a big company called Stratasys and they suck now. Like don't buy a MakerBot. Just, ah. just don't. It's a waste of money. But they still run, but they still run Thingiverse. Thingiverse. Yeah. Huh. My second issue with Thingiverse is that there's tons of people that post completely unprintable garbage on it. Stuff that they like have never even thought about a 3D printer before. And they designed this thing. It's like, there's no way to print this. And so you have to kind of wade through all that. Third, it's been plagued by performance problems lately. I use Prusa printers for obvious reasons, being a Prusa fanboy, you know. Yep. They recently launched their own. Most of the models I've seen posted there are actually printable because they're people with printers. I don't know. I like it better. Anyway. I'm looking at things. Think bears mentioning, or, yeah. well, no, just just on that one very quickly. Yeah. I think it is a, a suitable point to mention that the WLAN Pi case is available. Yes. On the Prusa printers. Yes, I not. Yeah, I very specifically posted it to Prusa printers and not Thingiverse, just because I don't really like Thingiverse. And you can, you know, you don't have to have a Prusa to print it. You don't have to have a Prusa to, to go download the files from Prusa printers. It's just an alternative repository. 
So anyway, yep. all that to say that I went to Thingiverse and immediately, like, uh, so I typed in, like, um, I don't know, like, nut or washer or bolt or something, and I came up with this one called Nut Job. Here, I'm going to put it in our in our Telegram, so you can click on that link if you want. Okay. So this, oh, yeah. this is a generator for nuts, bolts, and washers, and you can see those are very clearly 3D printed. And I think that looks like uh, defaults are for 8 millimeter diameter bolts. Does that mean M8? Is that what that means? I think that is what M8 is, yeah. Yeah, so you know what? It totally looks like you could print M8s. In fact, your M10s, you're probably going to be fine. And then on top of that, Nick, I remembered that back in the day, PrinterBot used to have a printer called the, the PrinterBot Simple. And there was one part on it that was machined. It was actually it was actually milled out of a type of plastic. I forget what type of plastic was. But that was okay. used as the nut that the lead screw used to move the Z-axis up and down. That's a very important part, you know? So like the, wow. the, like the lead screw for the Z-axis, it wasn't even a lead screw, I don't think. It was, well, yeah, maybe it was. Anyway, that part mm-hmm. from the factory was milled, but I actually experimented with 3D printing replacements. Um, and so and, and so did several other people because you can find them on Thingiverse, at least you used to. They're probably still there somewhere. Uh, lead screw is... I think it was like three eighths of an inch or I forget. It was called Acme rod, A-C-M-E, Acme rod. Anyway, about the size of an M8. And dude, it totally worked. And so I think that you printing M10 threads in is not outside the realm of possibility. In fact, I think you're going to be able to do it and I think it's going to work. Okay. This, I mean, and and that, but this, this leads into why I, why I wanted to not get too deep into using Fusion and creating lots of little models that I'm really excited to print because I think that the learning process of using the tool and what is possible with a Prusa Mini printer to, I mean, with any 3D printer to print, you know, those things I think should go in tandem. Or or at least for me, it will benefit me, you know, for me not to go too far down the road of coming up with a really complex model, which has missed the fact that, you know, feature X is just not going to be possible. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. That That is smart because, it, I don't know, until you get your hands on it, maybe it's kind of difficult to understand what the limitations are and aren't. I don't know. Yeah, I think mm. that's probably a good idea. On top of that, I think there's another good reason why it was a solid idea to hold off on Fusion 360 until your printer was closer. It's so much more difficult to learn something new if you don't have a specific goal or outcome in mind. Like... Right. When when I got started with the Arduino stuff, I had all the stuff that I needed. I had all the pieces for several years. My brother, Alex, he he bought me an Arduino kit and I didn't touch it for at least two years until I had a need, until there was something I needed to make. And boom, within a couple hours, I had the thing. That I think that is very true. And that were that's the same for me with coding as well. I would never I would not be able to absorb Python. Not that I have absorbed that much, but I would it would not have worked if I had just been trying to learn Python for the sake of it. Right. I had a very specific task that I was trying to do, yeah. which meant that I would skip over chapters of the book just so I could get to the bits of you know that would enable me to implement the things that I was trying to do. Right. So. Right. Okay, but then 
that just 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 to wrap up on the thread so initially i was thinking yeah i could print the protrusion and print a thread and then print a nut but it raises the question of is that sensible maybe is is doing that possible maybe but even if it is possible is it a sensible use of resources and time maybe my design could incorporate just a uh, uh, a lock for a a nut for for a, for a bolt so i could just put a bolt that already existed into this model and right. then it would hold the head and then i could use a a, a nut f- you know not printed by me i i want that's another thing that somewhere there's a somewhere there's a tipping point of it being worthwhile versus not right uh, so the way that i see it you have three options uh option number one is you can try to print threads into the model which again i think for an m8 i think is going to work i'm excited to see if it works okay. or not i think it, it could um mm-hmm. advantage of that is simplicity it's really cool that you could do that uh and just have it built into the part you know the reason why i've never done that before like why i've never in my own designs have never put threads into my models is because holy cow doing threads with sketchup is basically impossible like you can do it from an artistic perspective Uh, but okay you cannot do it from an accurate 3d model perspective and so i've never done it i just have never had that capability it's a big reason why i need to move to fusion 360 second thing that you could do is just put a cylinder or just bore a hole through your part and let the let the uh, the bolt or the screw make threads in the part. And I've done that many times, actually. Like, with 3D printing, like, if you take a pair of digital calipers and you just measure the diameter of an M3 an M3 screw, just the, the threaded part, if you print mm. that exact diameter into the part, you are guaranteed to have a slightly smaller hole than what you just measured it's one of the it's one of the the kind of things that 3d printing does where whenever you do holes the holes are always slightly smaller than you modeled them you remember that by the way that's really important okay Um, so then when you like when you screw something into it it just threads its own it just taps its own threads and you're good to go the disadvantage the advantage of that is very simple the disadvantage is is that you you don't get a very mechanically strong joint there i mean it can be fine but you just have to understand there's mechanical limitations there the third way is the one that you have mentioned, and that's what I've done on the WLAN Pi case, is to build in a spot for the nut for an M3, M4, M8 nut to go, and the nut gets trapped in there or held in there one way or another. There's three different ways you can do it. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm definitely gonna talk more about this where I, as I as I learn and share what I've what I, what I have learned you know mm-hmm. during this. So I'll report back. Uh, I guess the final thing then on threads was just that in Fusion, I drew a cylinder and then one of the tools available to me is thread. Really? So I, it's just, just built in? It Yeah, Fusion can apply a thread to a cylinder or to a hole that has been oh, bored man. through an object. That is so cool. That is just... <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> I, I, oh man, I can't wait. I'm so excited to... Yeah, I'm okay. really, really excited to dig into that because that's that's something I've just never had the capability to do before. I th- I think just from what you showed me, what you had achieved in SketchUp, I'm I think there'll be a transitionary period for you. But once you get once you get your head into the 
fusion way of doing things. I I think well, I think the case in point is the complexity of the models that I've been making, and I don't really know what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, I think you'll get in here, and you can you know you can parametrically set up one one of the one of the more recent videos that I watched from the Chaos Core Tech guy was about creating a model but setting up parametric restraints. Uh-huh. So he built a model and then added parametric constraints to it so that then he could come back to that model at any point and just bring up a little box and change any of the yeah. aspects that he had marked parametric restraints for. Yes. Uh, so my brother being... Uh, I'm, I'm going to say that he is being he's a mechanical engineer and i'm gonna say a 3d modeling expert he is extremely good at at what he does and he showed me some of that where he'll set up a part so it's all all the different pieces of it are all dependent on each other and if you set it all up properly he can change one attribute and there's this entire tree of changes that all trickles down from that one change that he just made and so by changing one parameter the part completely it it completely works and it just automatically fixes everything in it to accommodate that new parameter that he set when you hear the term parametric modeling i i used to i never knew what well i didn't know what parametric meant for a long time i was like does it have something to do with like metric or something like that it's all about defining parameters that's what parametric modeling is Okay, I think I may have been guilty there of using the term because that's what the guy said in the video, but I didn't really appreciate. Oh, didn't really fully appreciate it. So oh, thank you. So oh, so you didn't understand the meaning of it until oh, just now? I, not not entirely. Not entirely. I but having that broken down makes makes it more clear. Oh, cool. Then the other then one of the other models that I was messing around with was trying to hang a hang my cable modem on on the wall i'm seeing which, a team here hanging things on walls yeah <laughs> but so we don't need to go down that rabbit hole just now but it led me to a question of how strong can my 3d prints be they can be pretty dang strong man like i have been really impressed with how strong okay well here's an example I'm gonna lean over and grab a part here i have a part that uh somebody else designed and they did it in fusion 360 i believe uh, that you hang your bicycle from the wall from this part. Uh, basically, okay. the uh, the uh, what's it called? The pedal. the The pedal on the bike hooks onto this, and yes. it holds the bike on the wall from the pedal. And then you also put a couple of spots for where the the tires sit. And I'm holding this part in my hands right now. This is printed with PLA. I am 100% positive that this will hold my bike to the wall. Not a problem. And this isn't like a light road bike either. This is a mountain bike. No problem. Uh, yeah, no, it's very, very strong. The The one thing you have to think about when you are designing, you know, 3D printed parts and their mechanical stresses around them is keep in mind that it is possible to delaminate the layers. You know how the layers, layers that build up, right? You can yes. design a parts where, parts where you could possibly hold on to two separate sides of the part and split it uh, and split the layers, get those layers to delaminate. However, uh, that this part is printed with like 60, 70% infill. No, no, no. I think I only did 50% infill on this. And dude, it is so freaking solid. There's no way this part is going to break. Okay. Is I, I want to talk more about that hanger, but 
on the infill, a really basic question for you. Is 100% fill stronger than 50% infill? I mean, my gut says yes, but I don't really okay. know for sure because I don't think I've ever gone north of 50% infill. I don't think I've ever done Oh, really? That. Yeah, I don't think I ever have. I mean... What's your bicycle hanger? Uh, I think I did. You know what? I think I can open up the, the project actually and look because you know how with Prusa printers, you can save off a project? Um, the Prusa slicer. Wait, what did I say? I said something. I, I'm I Prusa project. I think you said. Oh um, yeah, I was trying to do two things at once. Yeah, the the so okay. with Prusa slicer, you can save off a project uh, in right. a 3MF file, and it kind of like retains all of your settings. By the way, 3MF is going to take over STL someday, as as like as far as like you know preferred uh, preferred model file format it's going to take over prusha did a video about it and there's a lot of actually companies okay. that are like backing it so i can actually look and see so if i pull this up and look and see what was my infill set to 30 percent. no not quite i did 30 percent for the full model so there's 30 percent infill and what kind of infill did i do let me just slice it really quick and look and see uh yeah just the typical back and forth cross layer thing. The official name of that type of infill is called rectilinear. Um, okay. Yeah, I did I did 50 per, or 30% rectilinear until I got to a part up towards the top where the part gets kind of smaller. And I wanted to be sure that there was some additional structure in there. And so then I added what's called a modifier in there that... Right. I don't know if I've... Did I show you modifiers, how modifiers work? I don't know. So, but I can imagine now that I've... Uh, now that i've played with slicer a little bit i can imagine so basically what you do is you create a basic shape like a cube or a cylinder and then you position it to intersect with your model somewhere and yes. then you can say you hey show me. Yeah. okay yeah anywhere where these two these two parts intersect we want to change the parameters of this model a little bit and so up there i bumped it up to 50 percent infill i can't imagine ever going beyond 50 percent infill like if if that won't take care of you know making sure this is a structurally sound part, then I probably need to be looking into something other than three D printing to make this part. Okay, that and also on the strength of these parts, uh-huh. you when when I when I visited you, we printed a Raspberry Pi Zero holder. Yeah, it the that that piece did not have a slot for the camera ribbon oh yeah so you had to modify so, that how did that go yeah. for you well uh, that's why that's why i put the question down to ask you like just how strong can these prints be because the amount of effort it i i, I took a stanley blade to the the model to the the, the pi case the pi zero yep. case yeah and of course i was trying to do it neat and tidy but it took a lot of effort yeah for me to cut a slot yeah. in this case yeah yeah and that it's tough, was isn't it? pla yes and one thing to keep in mind about pla too is i would say it's probably less cu- cuttable is that a word cuttable it's probably more difficult this... to cut than okay petg is petg is a bit softer and i'm i don't know it's like pla is more brittle petg is more flexible if that makes sense okay now when because you know you're rattling off these 
uh, plastic names and I'm slowly getting there as in I now can identify or I recognize PETG and PLA yeah but I don't really have a, a great appreciation for the the properties property material differences so um, PLA stands for polylactic acid it's actually a corn-based plastic um, people used to say that that meant that it was biodegradable that's not what that means it's not biodegradable you you, you shouldn't eat it I don't think it'd be, it's not tasty okay. anyway. It does kind of smell like syrup. Like, you know, syrup you put on like your waffles and pancakes. It, it kind of smells like that nice. when it prints, which is funny. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it prints at a fairly low temperature, uh, which is nice. It, uh, it prints on a cold, you can print it onto a cold heated bed or not, not a heated bed. Literally a cold heated bed is not heated. A, a, you can print it on a cold bed is what I'm trying to say. Although that's Understood. not very fun, I don't recommend doing that. Having a heated bed is the way to go. You're going to have one, so you don't have to ever worry about that. Uh, it, yep. uh, it prints very cleanly. Like uh, like when the print head stops printing and moves to another part, it doesn't like bring a little string along with it. Like It stops and starts printing very cleanly. And so because of that, for small parts, you can get a nice, pretty decent level of detail out of it. Uh, it also cools very quickly, and so that's helpful for, you know, cooling quickly, I guess. <laughs> the downsides of PLA is since it prints fairly cool, it also, the, the, the softening temperature is fairly low as well. So, for example, like I've tried 3D printing some stuff with PLA and leaving it in my car, and it does not survive you know, like being in a car in the summer. If you come back, you'll, you'll, it's not going to like melt. It won't turn into a pool of plastic, but the parts will deform slightly. And so once if the temperature rises, yeah, you know, you get, you, you know how a, a car can get pretty hot mm. in the summer. Yeah. And, uh, and so, yeah, it will deform. Um, PETG on the other hand, some people call it pet G. I, I, I just call it PETG. I don't know why, but, but I just that think it's more sounds than a little bit like people who use SID for SSID. Oh, geez. I hate that. When people say a SID or a SID, I'm like, no, it's an SSID. I call it PETG. Uh, it prints hotter. Yep. That's for sure. It definitely requires a heated bed. Again, not a problem for you. Um, okay. And because it prints hotter, it, it is more, it, it withstands like in car temperatures. Like I have some parts on the, the, the console, like the, the center console on my, my BMW E36 that, uh, like, like there was like a, an ashtray, like, I don't need an ashtray. Like, I don't I'm, like, what am I going to use an ashtray for? Right? Like a, I don't yeah. smoke B, even if I did smoke, I would never smoke in my car. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Um, and so an ashtray is completely useless. And then like the coin holder was broken. And so I designed some 3d printed parts to clean that up and, uh, they're yep. printed with PETG and they, they survived a summer in there. Like no problem. Like I would intentionally get in the car when it was really hot and press on the parts to see if they'd weakened. And no, they, they didn't soften at all. Um, PETG is also less brittle than PLA. It flexes a little bit more which is part of why we use them on the WLAM Pi cases. Like it just feels better to hold uh, in, in, and it flexes just a bit nicer. I don't know. I, I can't really describe it, but but hmm. it's not as brittle. And so because of that, I feel like it's a bit stronger. I feel like it has a tendency to crack a lot less. It also warps less. When you print a large footprint part, PLA has a tendency to, as it shrinks, it kind of warps and pulls up off of the bed. Whereas PETG does a better job. It's not perfect, but it does a better job of avoiding that warping. 
The downside of okay. PETG is it's a bit more stringy. It doesn't print quite as clean. And so like when we're printing WLAN Pi cases, like you have to you have to take some uh some tweezers and clean off the print nozzle between every print because it kind of just collects like gum up on there, just kind of gums up on it after a while because it's leaving little strings everywhere. So yeah, okay. overall, I am pretty much not doing PLA anymore. I have a pretty big supply of it that I'm slowly working my way through. It's not bad. There's nothing wrong with it. I just naturally prefer PETG at this point. Interesting. And there are other materials that you can print on a Prusa with. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, other common materials, um, the, the, the old standby for a long time was ABS. Um, here in the United States, we have like black drain pipes for like, like sewage and stuff. Those are all ABS. Yep. Like, like ABS is super common for that. Do you guys, do you, do you use like, do you have like black drain pipe in the UK? Like for uh, in your, in yeah. your house? I don't, but I don't know if it's ABS. I, 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 I think ABS rings a bell from shop class. Right. When I was at school, I think okay. I remember cutting, cutting sheets of that up. Yeah. ABS is used all over the place. Um, so that used to be the stand, the standby for like a high temp plastic, but it, it, uh, the way that it cools, it warps really, really badly, like so bad that it'll just crack in the middle of the print. I never attempted it because it looked so difficult to use. Then there's a new okay. one on the scene called ASA. Uh, apparently it's good for like outdoor stuff. I don't know anything about ASA. I, I, I don't know anything other than it's a plastic and it's good for outdoor stuff. That's literally all I know. And then there's some other stuff like flex filaments where you can print like kind of gummy flexible parts. I haven't messed with that at all. I'd like to. I don't know if the mini will hmm. do that. I, I think my, my, my Mark III S's will, but I, again, I've never messed with it. Okay. Well, no, that's really that's really interesting. I I find the the first the first time we spoke about three D printing, or or the first time I read about three D printing, I definitely was intimidated by these terms. You know, PLA, PETG, mm -hmm. and then ASA, and 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 now I this is a good reminder to me for people who are not necessarily Wi Fi people, and when we when or when we or when I rattle off the you know acronyms that i know like an ssid very very well yeah because yeah like ssid for example yeah. any of our like non-wi-fi friends that are listening to this podcast are like i have no idea what a ssid or an ssid is we should <laughs> we should we well we should do that because like i actually you know you just mentioned asa and i feel a bit oh i feel a little bit i don't know what i, I don't even know what asa remotely could be i like, to be honest i don't know what it stands for i have no idea <laughs> what it is when i said no, but, but I know, you know it as a thing though i do i do know that it's a thing i know two facts about it <laughs> so it doesn't intimidate facts. you though um i mean if somebody handed me a spool of asa and was like joel print me a thing with asa yes i would be intimidated but the concept of asa okay. no it doesn't intimidate me i have to say that the demonstration of prusa slicer that that you gave me was really, uh, really good. Um, I, again, I think the 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 concept of of taking a model and slicing it and then printing it, I did find helpful. Uh, yeah, no, but again, I was uh, intimidated by all of this, but now now I feel very comfortable in Prusa Slicer and the idea that I can just make a model, throw it into Slicer, and just see what slicer would do with it and go 
And even then I might say, ah, no, that's not right. I can, I can make this better. Right. I can actually design, I can change my model to make Slice's job easier. The other, the other thing that I'm cre- working on designing is a, a housing for a Raspberry Pi Zero and a Pi camera module, which I'd like to put maybe on the front door. I'm not sure, like sort of a doorbell cam, but not necessarily a doorbell cam. I'm not, I'm, not, I, I'm play, just playing with the idea. And so I'm coming up with this box, which is now, of course, of course, I don't want to do just a regular shaped box. It needs to be a triangular shaped box with yeah. some with some funky angles going on. <laughs> that's the screenshot that you sent me. That's the screenshot that I yeah, sent you. Yeah, and that's that's the part that I was like, "Dang, this is this is legit." Yeah, I see. There's like, yeah, I I and I can tell in this part how you've designed it for th- with three D printing in mind. How you are trying to do overhangs. You're trying to do more of, uh, well, well, there's overhangs, but but they build out at like a forty five degree angle instead mm. of just straight up being ninety degrees. Trying to print something out into the middle of you know the air. Yeah. So because yeah. it's. Because it's a small, because this potentially has to be weather resistant. Yeah. Well, no, not potentially. It does have to be weather resistant if I'm going to use it. Okay. I was trying to make it two pieces, a box and a lid. Okay. And because of that, it's quite a small, a relatively small opening that I'd be able to get my fingers in. So I didn't want there to be support material internally. Yes. Because I could imagine that being horrible me trying to scoop it out yeah oh yeah i've in fact i've printed a few parts that uh, like i've printed parts that were not optimized for 3d printing like like a few little prototypes and things for my brother he's like hey before i like take three days to set up my mill to do this can you just like run off one of these on your printer for me and i'm like heck yeah man i'm happy to do that he helps me with mm. projects all the time so whenever he texts me like hey can you print this for me i'm like yes because <laughs> of how much he's helped me with yeah um and yeah it when you're trying to dig support material out of those parts, there's a few parts I've handed him where I'm like, good luck. <laughs> you know, like there's support material in there. I can't get it out. So yeah, that's a good, good call for sure. I think that's like the main things that I wanted to ask you about. I I can only say that if anybody is listening to to this and they have an interest in 3D printing, then listen to our earlier episode. I think episode one, when we talked about you, you kind of broke it down, the whole process for me, but definitely don't feel intimidated by the concept of downloading a model, dropping it into a slicer, and then just seeing what the slicer would do. It, it has made a big difference, me just playing with this software, even before my printer has arrived, because I now have a better understanding of what exactly this box is going to, what this tool is going to do. Yeah, I, I agree. You can you can begin to understand the behaviors of the well, the behavior of the printer is driven by the behavior of the slicer. I mean, you can like back back when I was doing when I was mostly had I mostly had printer bots and I used Slick 3R. It's slicer, but the E is turned backwards and you can't call it slicer because it's like they're all called a slicer. That's what they are. They're slicers, right? And so, (laughs) so then Thomas Sandlander, 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 he's a German guy. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. I think if I looked at his name, I could probably do it. But he finally gave up and he's like, I'm going to start calling it Slick 3R because this is stupid. And so now I call it Slick 3R. But back then, like, I remember a couple of times I strayed away from Slick 3R. Like I went and tried out Cura and like 
Cura's another slicer that just behaved completely differently. It was like getting a different printer. I didn't like it as much. I went back to Slick 3R. Uh, so, but, but you can you can determine gotcha. a lot about how your printer is going to behave by just slicing the model and moving that you know that thing up and down where you can look at all the individual layers. That'll give you a lot of an idea of how the printer is going to behave as it prints the part. So Nick, uh, when you were in Boise, even though you don't have a 3D printer yet, you took back a, f a handful. I don't remember how many I sent with you, but I think I sent some of the, the WLAN Pi cases that I 3D print, and then yeah. they get sold through Keith's Wireless LAN Pros store. How many did you take back? I think you sent me back with four, because we printed them while i was while i was staying oh okay yeah 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 i kind of like i kind of like showed you things to watch out for and like the yeah. the things that would make me go like oh this is not a good one or something like that kind of like quality exactly. control kind of stuff yeah so did did you put them on your your store did they sell like what happened yeah to them? i yeah i did i working with a close friend of mine we set up the badger wi-fi web store uh-huh and at the moment it is a pretty simple uh design web store because we have very we, well basically joel everything you make we sell uh, <laughs> so we right. we actually have we have the wlampi case the wlampi handheld case kit uh -huh. the the complete wlampi and both variants of the packet potato wow Dang. so kit and complete so that and makes you my distributor. You're my UK distributor, aren't you? I think I I think that makes me your UK and maybe EU distributor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Very cool. I never thought I would have a distributor of anything. I didn't think I would ever <laughs> build anything that people would want to distribute. So thank you for that. That that makes me feel really good and well, very important. Very businessy. Well, you should feel you should feel very important. Uh but it's been good, and yeah, they have all sold. Wow! So you're cleaned out. All of the pie, all of the WLAN pie cases that I brought home with me have all been sold. Wow! So, so what you're telling me is that is that my UK distributor. How long did it take you to sell out of all my products that I make, all my inventions? <laughs> well, I think once once I actually announced to people that they could buy them, they all went within two days. Wow. Wow. So I'm going to go tell all my friends, my, like my friends here that aren't really into Wi-Fi and stuff and don't like know yeah. me on Twitter and all that. Like, yeah, my, my UK distributor sold out of all of my products in, in two days. <laughs> it's in high demand. That makes me feel very self-important. I like that. I, I, I like feeling important. Yeah. <laughs> but I am hopeful that the Prusa Midi, when it arrives, I will be able to put it to work and produce with your... Uh, with your guidance for quality control. Ah, uh, yes. You know, the... Exactly. Yep. <laughs> uh, yeah, but, but yeah, be, be, able to, be able to meet the demand for uh, WLAN Pi cases in on this side of the pond. You know what? If it pays for your Prusa Mini and the filament, like, I'm going to consider that a huge win. Like, I'm thrilled <laughs> that the thingy, the little plastic thing that I designed might help like i don't know pay for you know pay for this horrible addiction that i've gotten you into because uh, let's face it this is this is my fault when, when your printer when everything goes wrong you can blame me you can definitely blame okay me. i'm really excited though for well one thing i am worried about actually i'm really worried about that one printer isn't going to be enough for you that like uh <laughs> like a month or two from now you're going to buy another one 
And in fact, I, I think you said that the other day when we talked on like the phone. I think you were like, I think I'm going to have to order two more printers, another one for printing WLAN Pi cases and another one for actual printing things that I want. Because, I mean, I'm up to four printers now and I'm definitely having that problem. Like, <laughs> So do you think you, you actually have a requirement for more? No, I don't think so. Okay. I mean, okay. I well, one of my printers is borrowed from Keith. When I return that printer, I might buy another mini and do two minis and two Mark III S's because having having four printers is pretty great. It is pretty nice because then I could like dedicate two to farming WLAN Pi cases and then two to hobby stuff. I don't know. We'll see. Sure. But okay, I hope I don't know. I'm, I'm I'm excited for you to get yours though. I'm I'm just a little worried that it's gonna suck having to split time between yeah. printing WLAN Pi cases and printing. <laughs> it's yeah, I'm a little worried about that. Well, let's let's wait and see. Let's wait and see. But I think I said this before. But I've been it, it it's absolutely true. Uh, it is changing the way I'm looking at problems around the house that yes. need solving. Yes. One thing that I love about 3D printing is how it helps me keep from going to the store, which is super important right now with coronavirus crap, everything happening, you know, mm. because yeah. like I, I bought a kit to fix the, the the toilet. You know how like in the toilet tank, there's some mechanical components in there that do stuff. Yep. And I'm sure it's the same over there, right? Like the tank. Has yeah, I think I think our toilets are very similar, similar. To, to the USA toilets. I mean, like, yeah, I, I don't think there's any dramatic design. Yeah, difference. yeah, yeah. They definitely look different. They look definitely look a little bit different. But anyway, like I bought it. I bought I went to the store and bought a kit to rebuild all that stuff. And I got home yeah. and, and I was like, I didn't want to go to the store in the first place. I'm trying to stay home. Like, you know, this was this was back when things were just ramping up. It wasn't really serious yet. But I was still I was trying to make a concerted effort to stay home. I get back okay. and the little arm for the float thingy is too long. Like it's literally too long. And so I just 3D printed a part that helped me shorten it. And boom, I don't okay. have to go to the store. I feel... But hang on. Yeah? No, go on. And, and, and that makes you feel good. Well, yeah, because I feel like I have the ability to manufacture my own solutions at home. And that is especially important right now where I'm very much at home. I'm not leaving my house for anything except food right now. You know, very intentionally. Yes. My question was that this part is going to get wet. Yeah, probably. How, which, which kind of, so you, so you used which material? For uh, that I used orange just so that, you know, you can visualize the parts in my toilet. Yep. <laughs> I, yep. I used orange PETG. I okay. don't, I don't think that that PLA or PETG, I don't think it would have mattered. I think both both materials would have been perfectly acceptable in a wet environment. I've I I don't know of any issues with uh with either material and moisture. I think they're fine. Okay. It's just uh, a thermal but on plastic. moisture though. Yeah. But you do recommend me keeping them with uh death death de oh no. Uh -oh. The um what are those silicon beads? Oh desiccant 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 Des <laughs> desiccant desiccant i don't even know if that's correct <laughs> who knows who cares yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, I mean it, it's the pre-print that matters right it's before the print that that really matters after it's printed right whatever it's fine and you know what okay i, I mean I'll, I'll tell you what in like two years we'll we'll do a follow-up on this and we'll be like hey but remember back in episode 11 or whatever we're on now 
Remember that? We'll, yep. we'll be on like episode 500 by then, you know, like 498, you know, we'll be approaching our 500th episode and we'll, we'll check in on that issue. <laughs> okay. I like it. All right. So today I received an update on my iPad. What version is this? Yes. Um, 13.4. 13.4. Is that right? I'm sure it is. Yeah, I think I'm sure. So. I'm sure you're correct. I didn't mean. I didn't mean to sound like. Are you sure it's 13.4? <laughs> yeah, Nick. Are you sure you know what you're are talking you about? Sure. <laughs> but yeah, you're absolutely right. It is 13.4. This is the version of iOS, iPad OS that adds trackpad and mouse support for the new iPad Pro and the keyboard with the the upcoming keyboard with the trackpad. So yeah, I did that. Um, the thing, did you? Yeah, yeah. And and have you? Uh, and have you done it? Uh huh. Well, have I plugged the mouse into uh-huh. it? Yeah. Yeah, I have actually. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Tell me. Well, so I have an old, uh, it was going to be way too much work to pair my magic mouse with it because my magic mouse can, I think it can only be paired with two Bluetooth hosts at a time. Uh, and it bounces back and forth between my work laptop and my personal laptop. That's a conversation for another episode. That's There's a, some problems there, but that's what it does. I didn't want to pair it to my iPad because I didn't want to break anything. So I pulled out of the mm-hmm. closet. I pulled my old um, Microsoft Wheel Mouse Optical USB and PS2 compatible. That's what it says on the bottom. It's the old like generic okay. Microsoft IntelliMouse thing. You know but what I'm talking USB about? It's a USB mouse. It's definitely USB. Okay. And, and then I have um, some of these little Amazon Basics USB C to USB A adapters, and I use that to plug mm-hmm. it in. Are they are they long like the Apple one or just like little stubby things? Uh, I would say it's very. It looks very similar to the Apple one. Very similar. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So Why? it's the wannabe. It's the wannabe Apple. Yeah. Yeah. USB Type C to A adapter. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Except it's six dollars instead of you know sixty dollars. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I was gonna say eighty, but yeah, yeah. You get the joke. Um, <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa! Are they on sale? <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> uh but dude it totally worked like it just worked i mean i i guess ios supports uh human interface devices over usb and uh yeah yeah, so i'm totally mousing around on my ipad right now (laughs) uh the one thing uh, it's great it totally works like i could see myself setting up at the kitchen table and to be honest using like a usb mouse than an adapter am i going to actually do that no no i i keep this mouse around as a spare I, I mm. use it for playing like real-time strategy games every now and then, like StarCraft. I think you are a more of a Command and Conquer guy, if I remember correctly. But <laughs> right, I think that's that's true. I was not a, a StarCraft player. I was a Command and Conquer. But you understand the player. importance of a of a good mouse for yes that kind of thing. Sure, I, I love the yeah. Magic Mouse. Would you ever use the Magic Mouse for a real-time strategy game? Oh, that's 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 a tough question. It's been so long since I played a real-time strategy game, I don't know. All right. Well, <laughs> I can tell you I've tried, and the Magic Mouse is awesome, and I love it, but I would not use it for a real-time strategy game. So that's what I keep this old mouse around for. Fine. So the, the one thing I would say about the mouse support um, is that it is definitely designed for a mouse that supports gestures of some kind. You know, like on the Magic Mouse, you can, you can do gestures. Mm-hmm. On a trackpad, you can do gestures. So this is not the perfect solution. I would never actually use it, but I just wanted to tell you that I plugged my super old early 2000s, mid 2000s era into Microsoft mouse into my iPad and it worked. So I'm, I'm impressed that you are so on it and I'm also quite excited to try it on my, I mean, I'm going to pair my external trackpad to 
the you iPad. Should. Yeah, definitely try it. Uh, I mean, if this USB mouse works, I'm sure that your trackpad's going to work phenomenally with it. Um, one little tip that I would give you is, you, you know how when you're in an app on the iPad Pro, you don't have a home button to press. So the way that you get mm. home is you swipe up from the bottom. Yeah. Um, at first, I was like grabbing that little bar on the bottom and pulling it up with the mouse until I realized you can just click on it with the mouse. So ah, just okay. click on it. But I'm amazed at how natural it feels. Like a, a mouse, I, I thought that a mouse on an iPad was going to be really stupid. It's it's not. I'm not finding it to be okay. stupid. I, I think it's. I think it makes sense. And I think... I actually want to like use it like this. I don't know. We'll see. Fascinating. I am very interested in the what is it called? The magic keyboard. Yeah, the, magic the keyboard. New, yeah, I think yeah, that's what the it's called. hinged the i the the hinged. hinged iPad magic keyboard. I I don't know about the whole hinged thing. I'm not sure. Oh, no, about that's great. That. That's great because the biggest so I I like the idea of an iPad with a keyboard, okay? B- because I don't I don't want to take up 3 quarters of the screen with an on-screen keyboard or I don't I might not, you know, I would like to type on it. Yeah. Um I actually don't even use the full screen keyboard. I use the little small one so it's the size of an iPhone yeah. and then I can use my thumb and swipe on that. But anyway, the point is the Apple keyboard, the official Apple keyboard folio, is so prohibitive in the two angles that it, it is. offers. It that is very prohibitive. The new, yeah. yeah, so this this new thing, this new keyboard, if it genuinely can stand up and be solid and offer the iPad screen to me at any angle I choose, that's that's that solves the problem. That I didn't realize you could change the angles on it. And how is it held into place? I, I need to go watch some of the videos and understand the mechanics of it. I haven't even I tried can... to figure it out. Oh, now I can't remember what the product was. I was speaking to Keith Parsons very recently, uh-huh. and he showed me, I think it was graphene paper. Uh, it was like a piece of plastic material, but inside this were uh, like iron filings. Okay, yeah. And it enables you to see oh, yeah, where yeah, magnets yeah. are. Yeah, 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 yeah. What's yeah, it I've called? Seen that. Uh, I don't know, but I know what you're talking about. It's okay. like a thin film that you can yeah. place over magnets and you can see the magnetic fields. It just helps you visualize okay. magnetic fields. Yeah. Right. And Keith Keith was showing me the back of his iPad Pro. Oh, yeah. And they're everywhere. Everywhere. <laughs> Absolutely everywhere. Yeah. Um, semi-related story. Uh, Keith posted a photo of some, he, he posted one of those funny photos and it was a floppy disk that somebody had magneted to their fridge and it had like important backup, do not erase on it, you know? Yes. And the joke for, you know, anyone that's not as old as we are would know like a magnet just destroys a floppy disk. I received a box, a boxed, uh, macintosh system 7 upgrade kit so it was like five or six floppy disks and they're like the original apple ones like i I, this is awesome like i'm i'm thrilled about this right and i had Mm -hmm. them sitting on my desk uh martin erickson you know martin he uh yes yeah he he gave it to me it just is it's so cool such a fantastic gift um and i had the floppy disks out and i was just looking at them i hadn't even tried them yet in a mac to see if they still worked and i absentmindedly set my ipad pro on them oh no 
which I'm sure I don't think it's going to destroy the floppy disks themselves, but I'm sure that the the you know the system seven installers on them are toast. I'm sure I'm going to have to. I might not be there anymore. Yeah, and I I can rewrite them to that. I'm sure you know I can I can go get the images and I can rewrite them to it. It's just kind of sad because it's like oh they were original, they were pristine, they were brand new. And I ruined that. Okay. And so now whatever well, I... Well, you may have ruined it. Maybe. I haven't tried them yet. I, I should. But it was just hmm. like, it's kind of... Uh, that was sad. I was just like, I'm an idiot. I can't believe I did that. And that's all because <laughs> I set my iPad Pro on those floppy disks. But I've never thought about this before. I've Until you just said that, I've never thought of the danger that my iPad Pro is like uh, at to- risk of... of of wiping, no, but just just magnetically damaging things in my environment. I've never yeah. really considered that before. Yeah, I mean, you know, um, my guess is that the amount of people that have both floppy disks and an iPad Pro in the same physical space is probably that's probably a fairly uncommon scenario. I will admit, less than one percent. Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah, are you saying that I'm part of the one percent? Dang, that feels good. Uh, but yes, <laughs> you know, I wouldn't want to set set my iPad Pro on a hard drive. That's for sure like a laptop hard drive or something like that. Mm. Shoot, I have a laptop hard drive sitting here on my desk from the Mac Mini that Dan Jones gave me. Uh, and so, yeah. Oh, that's a good point. We should we should probably just get closure on that. Uh, oh, the the Mac Mini? I Yeah, it's is it up and running and doing things for as, you yet? As of last night, it is, actually. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. And, yeah, no, it's, um, let's see, I turned on, what was the feature he told me to turn on? Um, oh the uh, content caching proxy uh, content caching yes, yes. Not, not not proxy nick no, and so no. uh <laughs> and yeah content caching um so one thing i was very intentional about when i got the ipad os 13.4 i only know that number because of you now uh <laughs> that downloaded to my ipad in six minutes i don't know what the size of the upgrade was but six minutes seems really really quick to get an update downloaded to an iPad. That seems really fast. And so I think that content content caching server had something to do with that. So yeah. what do you think? Does that sound, does, does six minutes sound like a reasonable amount of time to pull an upgrade image down from the internet? Or do you think that that would have gone through my caching server? Well, hang on. But the caching server, have, is this the second time you've downloaded that update? No, that's a good point. This would have been the very first time because there's only one iPad Pro in my house so i i'm not i'm not sure yeah you're probably right uh okay well here's where the test will happen is we have two uh seventh gen ipads my wife's and then one of the ipads for the kids so i'll update my wife's first i'll reboot both of them i'll update my wife's first Mm. and then i will try the second one and see if it's any faster that's what we'll have okay so yeah see if they see if dan jones actually uh Ashley knows what he's talking about with uh, yeah. regards to content caching servers. Yes. And and by the way, Dan, I know you're going to listen to this at some point because, I mean, come on, who could resist listening to our podcast? He's definitely going to listen to this, right? But if you do listen to this, thanks, man. I really appreciate it. Like, I did not realize how slow that old um, that old Mac Mini was. Uh, this this new one is a nice piece of kit. I really appreciate you, you putting that together for me and sending it my way. Oh, oh, Nick, Nick, Nick. Um, yes. As if I had to get your attention. Uh, one thing that I wanted to point out <laughs> is that on my MacBook Air, okay, if you mouse your MacBook, or if you mouse down to the dock and put your mouse over the 
uh, the, 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 the place where you put files before they're deleted for forever. What is it called? Oh yeah. Well, to me, I would call it the trash, but it's the, it, for me, it's become the bin now as of Catalina. The bin. (laughs) Okay. So here's the thing. I am running right on my MacBook air. I am running Mac OS Catalina version 10.15.3. When I mouse over that, it is called the trash. Yes. On the Mac Mini, which, by the way, yeah. I, I did a fresh install. I I wiped it and, you know, because who knows what kind of shady yeah. stuff Dan would have left on there. He's probably, he's gonna, <laughs> you know, he's going to spy on my network and stuff. He's going to do packet captures. I'm not going to, I'm not, I got shady. I'm not going to trust him. Yeah, I, I did do that. Yeah. I, I wiped it because I just, I, you have to, you know, like I, I always, like, unless it's a brand new laptop direct from Apple, I'm going to wipe it first, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, I agree. And on that machine, it's called the bin. Why? Have you... Well, it must be a language preference and setting. that's what I thought, or that's, that's okay. the current theory. But why, why was yours the trash before, but now it's the bin? Is it because you bought yours from the US? What, what, I, I'm, I'm... No, I think pre-Catalina, it was just the trash. And now with Catalina, if you have... If it, it, yeah, if you're UK, it calls it bin and if you're us it calls it trash what i yeah which i don't have a problem with no 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 i mean this is nice but i would like the option to take it back to trash but i can't i'm now forced to have it as bin the bin because i was kind of wondering like because you're to be honest the, the first thing that i thought of when i saw that (laughs) <laughs> is I was like, whoa, they changed the name in Catalina. And then I and then I thought, no, it's still called the trash on my MacBook. On my MacBook Air. Yeah. And then I thought, oh, it must be a it, it must be it must be a UK thing. maybe Nick never calls it the trash can. Maybe he calls it the bin. Maybe he says in his, you know, British accent, which I'm not gonna try to fake right now. <laughs> Where'd that receipt go? Did you did you throw it in the bin? You know? Like, I don't know. <laughs> maybe you never call it the trash. I, I don't know. So well, I'll have to poke around and see if there's any language settings in there. I think I did a little bit already, and I didn't see anything compelling that, that made okay. me think that. If you so. find it, let me know, because I, I actually, I, I, I would wonder whether I need to put my system into U.S. language preference just so I can get it back to being the trash. Right. It, it's bothering I, you? It, it, well, it's true. In in and around the house, I mean, I'm in my office right now, and I do have a bin in the corner of the room. That, that to me, is so a bin. but call it a bin. That I would call a bin, but not the not the trash can on my dog. Well, that's always been the trash. Well, you know what we re- <laughs> I really want to change the name to is I really want to change it to recycle bin. That would make it truly. Oh, cur- no, I'm kidding. Oh gosh, I'm totally. I'm totally joking. <laughs> oh hey, by the way, Stephen Cooper. Uh, just we got to have him on the podcast at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, he just yeah. messaged me and said Magic Mouse support on iPad OS 13 works well so far with like a little party emoji like the emoji with the little thing yeah so anyway i just had to i I felt like that should be part of the podcast we got to bring him on sometime i don't know what we talk about with him but we got to do it so let's let's make that happen all right cool well hey nick um thank you for uh thanks for jumping on again today to do this very special Mm. pre-prusha episode the the pre-prusha episode uh yeah that might be a potential name we'll see i will have to think about it a bit but thanks for jumping yep. on, man. Uh, really great to talk to you about this stuff, and thanks for letting me go. Thanks for letting me go on and on and on about iPads and mouse support and 
bins and trash. No, not at all. Really good to speak with you. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you soon.